is episode three, Autistic Adult Diagnosed as a Woman of Color, The Long Gaslighting Journey, part two. Um, Last week, we ended with the part of the story where I was kind of getting fed up with, like, not getting the answers, and this is a continuation. Um, If you haven't seen part one, I would go back to episode two, to part one, Um, and perfect time to, you know, grab a snack, do activity, clean your room, um, paint a picture, go outside, Um, but I hope you enjoy part two, and I will say something at the end. Now, this episode is a little bit longer than the previous episode, so I hope you can, you know, be okay with that, and I'll talk to you later. Here we go. Not just, like, I didn't, that was something I didn't know. Like, I just kept researching and researching in my area, and I finally came across something that would help to actually get diagnosed and get the help that I need for academic because I knew I was having I was struggling with like certain uh classes and in my report evaluation it says here that I was struggling because I don't remember off the top of my head so I'm looking at it right now um it says I was struggling in physics and math which I love physics and I love math but I think it was the rigorousness of how and the exams like I was taking the exams in the in the classroom and so the exams were everything. Um, so I think that's why I was struggling. But once I got the help that I needed, and I'll talk about that later on, but that changed. So this whole journey of like, yeah, signing myself up until the point, and then finally being certain and, and stopping to gaslight myself. Because I think the reason why I stayed those four months with a therapist because I was also kind of gaslighting myself I'm like no I'm fine I'm, I'm normal you know blah, blah blah and then I would also get gaslighting from family members when I would talk about maybe that this is something that is going on and they're like why are you trying to do this like what are you what is wrong with you like you know you're fine you know you never had these issues what you're talking about you have no idea what you're talking about um this 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 person that you're talking like or this uh disorder that you're talking about this is how people are actually on you know on the autism spectrum this is how they actually behave and like telling me a lot of things that were just furthering my gaslightingness to to it and i was also gaslighting myself because i didn't i took things literally like i was like well i don't have flap you know so i must not be stimming you know um and you know I don't do this, I don't do that, so I must not be, you know, that whole journey of that. Um, When I started the diagnoses, I, one, I knew that I was finished with my, I was finished with, like, the college that I was at, and I was going to move on to my upper level design, architectural designs classes, and I was like, well, if I could get some sort of academic help um, to help improve because it's been absolutely miserable trying to take these exams and I've been failing so miserably, then maybe I could do better. Maybe there is some help. So even if I don't have this, um, Asperger's syndrome that I think I might have, at least I'll be able to get some sort of help because I know there's something wrong. And so then that's when I went through the process and I, I told him like, Hey, listen, I'm struggling. <laughs> this is why I'm doing this. Like this, there's a reason why. And so 
yeah so that started that was the final straw i think actually the, i should say the final straw was the fact that she tried to diagnose someone else um when i was going to her for help i was trying to open myself to getting help and getting diagnosed and she just wanted she was nothing to do with it i felt like she cared more about her career and her status of her career um and my money than actually listening to me and hearing what i had to say so i think that was a final straw for me and i just at that point i just needed to know if i am or not and if i'm not then i need to figure out why i think i am and then if i am then i can figure out what to do next like it just it just got to a point where it's just like i'm tired of doing all the research i've been researching this for like a year and a half now almost two years um and i need to just figure out if it's yes or no getting diagnosed will do that it would just concretely say yes you are no you're not um and so that was that was it so this begins my i guess the actual diagnosing journey um the so i'll talk about that a little bit well yeah i'm gonna talk about that that's the whole point of this <laughs> this whole point of the podcast is literally just talk about this and i'm like oh yeah i'm gonna talk about it a little bit no i'm actually gonna go through the process and how i felt and all the exams and interviews and final results and all this over that and i actually have the papers with me to if you could hear that <laughs> paperwork right here <laughs> so yeah so that's what i'm going to talk about right now um so when i started the first day that i started i remember it like it was yesterday i got taken back to room and my first day of like my first day of like actually you know taking an exam um and when i was going into this process i was feeling very vulnerable i was feeling very hopeful but also sad and also curious at the time because i didn't know what was happening i didn't i knew what was happening i didn't know exactly how the process i knew i had to take exams that was very concrete i knew exactly what i was doing but in terms of like how these exams were supposed to be was i supposed to be like running up and down the stairs or like what it, it all entails so it was a very confusing moment but also very curious like figuring out like this journey it was very it was a very interesting confusing emotionally filled journey it was very hard it was very difficult journey to go through mentally physically um always and it felt very it felt vulnerable i felt very vulnerable i felt very scared uh, i felt very unsure um all these emotions happening through this so if you're if you're feeling that way and you're about to like get diagnosed or you're going you're about to reach your diagnosis or you're in the journey of getting diagnosed those are all normal feelings to feel you also feel like am i doing an imposter syndrome where i'm like i'm this imposter trying to get myself labeled as this thing you know like um Am I trying to like get labeled as an individual with special needs? Like, am I crazy? Am I sane? All these different things were popping up while I was going through the process. And 
before and after and all this so that like well not after but during the process for sure um and i felt very i knew i needed to be authentic during the process and i needed to be genuine and put my all but it was really hard for me to be genuine and authentic with people i didn't know um and then also having the pressure and knowing and knowing that like because every time i would go i would go with my my mom and my sister and um that was also hard because you know it was hard because like there was a sort of pressure I felt um but they were there you know supportive but there was also this pressure like they're going through all this the same as I'm going through this you know and um you know putting them through this journey with me and then getting the results that was like not not inclusive or they need to do more or like just not knowing at the end of the journey would have been devastating um and so i felt very pressured to like try to take you know take this seriously um this process seriously and so that's what i did um for me i think because i was trying to be very authentic or i think this is me in general um and a lot of times in my report that i have here um it's written that it took me a lot longer to get through things and that's why it took twice as long for me to get through the exams and actually I didn't get through all of the exams because they I think they put like a 10 hour caps on it they kept mentioning the 10 hours I surpassed it or whatever um and so but throughout this whole report <laughs> there's always like oh yeah she took longer than expected she took longer than um than needed or not needed they, sh- they didn't say that but they said she just took longer she was slower to process things and um you know different things and then my because it was such a high stakes environment and i know this from my side I my memory is typically really good, especially visual memory, because I was so anxious. I was so emotionally driven. And they do mention that I was very emotional throughout this process in my report. Um, but this is the stuff I just remembered like before I even read the report. Um, I just remember being very emotional. It was very hard for me to concentrate, um, especially if there would be like things that would be distracting and stuff like that. Um, but during the process, one thing I, I thought was really interesting. They did a behavioral observation on me and I didn't know that was part of the, (laughs) sorry. I didn't know that was part of the, um, I guess the testing process, but it was. And the part that like, I guess got me the like the part that I was just like what (laughs) oh goodness excuse me anyways yeah during the test I apparently did not move and um that surprised me because I didn't realize that I didn't move like it felt like I moved a lot um no I didn't feel like I moved a lot that's a lie um but no like I think it was one of the things that like were because you put that as under like why they think I might have it as well. So yeah. So that was one of the things they surprised me, but they said things like, um, 
I would not make eye contact or on contact with the examiner. I fiddled with the last of my purse. I don't remember the purse I was wearing. Um, but then they also said my eye contact did slightly improve with more testing. I think before I was so overwhelmed, but when I started getting used to testing, I was able to like, like mask a little bit more, if that makes sense. Um, doing testing. Uh, I had very clear speech, which is, I felt like made me feel good because typically I don't have clear speech. Um... Especially back then, my speech is it was always like improving. Um, and they mentioned that I had like a, a ton of anxiety, and I did. I had a ton of anxiety um, during the time that I was taking this exam. And they also mentioned how I appear very overwhelmed. I didn't know I was appearing overwhelmed. I don't even know how one can appear overwhelmed. I don't know how that would work, but apparently I looked overwhelmed um, and I would have to take frequent breaks to like refocus and like uh, just I just needed breaks. I remember that being something that I needed in order for me to keep going. Like I just needed a moment. Um, so that was the during the exam. Now I'm going to talk about the final results of this exam during this whole exam, I was taking multiple, um, various different types of, uh, tests that were given. Um, they actually have a list of the tests that were given. I do not know. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce some of these names, but I was given the I would say, like, if I don't know say the name, I'll probably just say their acronyms for them. But the Woodcock-Johnson Achievement Test. Um, I was also giving the Walsizer Adult Intelligence Scale. So I was, my, my intelligence was, was you know, tested. Um, the DLS Kaplan Executive Function System. Um, the... Uh, wide range achievement test, the wide range assessment of memory and learning. Um, the I think these all aid in the test or whatever. The Wilcott Johnson, um, psychoeducational, I don't know what that means. The visual matching subtest, the uh, ray complex figure test, the grip strength finger tapping test. They said. Actually, they taught, they did go over my motor skills, uh, and they said that my motor skills were good, but not necessarily normal. I had a little bit of issues with, uh, speed and, um, speed and, like, uh, preciseness. Um, the pewter pegboard test, that was a pegboard test, um, that they mentioned that in. Um, the Minnesota Multifacic Personality Inventory, the Walsley Adult Reading Test, the Wisconsin Card Sorting Task, the Medical Synthesis Validation Test, and many other tests. I just don't... Um, let's see. 
There is one I think I'm forgetting. And I'm gonna go see if I can find the page. This is a lot of tests. <laughs> I think this was like more tests than that, but I didn't. It was the Oh, it was the ADOS test, which is specifically the um Asperger's disorder. But it was uh then also it was also the CADA questionnaire that my family members had to take and my mom had to take to give like a questionnaire about me and my childhood and stuff like that um and I was administered the ADOS module 4 uh test and that was that specifically tying into that I believe I don't know what it stands for though this ADOS no idea what that stands for um, and those are the mini tests. I probably missed a few. Uh, there was a lot of exams, so you can imagine why I felt overwhelmed and anxiety and just overall motion dealing with all this complexity. And there was a lot of times where they mentioned that it would be easier for me to deal with simple things, simple tasks. But when it came to like complex, like there's like tasks that I had to do it became harder for me to do obviously because I was already feeling anxiety I was already feeling overwhelmed um but then the final results did uh, show that I have two diagnoses and it was um at the time called Asperger's disorder and anxiety disorder and those were the exalt <laughs> I mean the anxiety ones kind of prominent but even after knowing that I have that diagnosis I never really addressed my anxiety until maybe 2020. So like literally eight years later is what I started to deal with my anxiety. I never, anxiety for me was like a normal level, you know, having that normal level, you don't really feel the need to like go seek and get help, you know? Um, ooh. <laughs> um, so that's that. Yeah, so I kind of felt like it wasn't something that I addressed, addressed and, you know, I didn't really understand the that having a diagnosis as, like, a diagnosis anxiety, that means it interrupts my life. Like, it's, it's enough for me to get diagnosed of it. And that's why they didn't put, like, I also have depression because, like, it doesn't really interfere with my life. I still am doing things, you know, not like, you know, not doing anything with my life. I'm, I'm you know, I was attending school. I was, you know, functioning. Um, and, you know, there, there is now such a thing called functioning depression, but I don't think it was enough for me to score. And I don't also believe that I am a depressive person. Um, I think I am more anxious than depressive, which is why I got diagnosed as such. And so I don't think I actually recognized that it was a dis diagnosed disorder. I just thought, oh, yeah, I have anxiety. And I did deal with it. Like, I did find ways to make sure that, because that was one of the recommendations. You need to find ways to, like, sort of calm yourself and, like, find ways to, like, relieve your anxiety. But I never viewed it as, like, oh, this is something I'm going to have to deal with, you know, until 2020. Because it got really bad. Um, and so 
that but that's like another story i think a lot of people who get diagnosed with asperger's or um high functioning autism they always have sister disorders and i think i do have other sister disorders i just haven't gone through the processes to be diagnosed um one i didn't even know that it could be a diagnosis until like more and more information throughout the years because it's been 11 years um since i've gotten diagnosed and i think more and more information you know that comes around i'm like oh i didn't even know that was considered a, like a natural disease a name to what that is um for instance like my speech is not always clear um sometimes i like you know can't figure out how to say a word even though like maybe two seconds ago i was able to say it perfectly fine um but i don't even know what to call whatever it is and i i do know i'm gonna have to eventually do that but that is also part of the whole like getting diagnosed you also get sister diagnosis and i call them sister diagnosis because if you didn't have the main diagnose then you wouldn't have the sister um is there be no sister? It's being like, that's the diagnosis, you know? So, uh, I think the disorders like ADHD, autism, OCD always comes along with like the sister or the cousin, you know? Um, and those are like typical, like anxiety, depression, stress, all those things come with it. I mean, even like, as I mentioned before, like the, the whole exam was a stressful environment. Imagine anyone going through that. They would be uh, stressed out. It's a little bit much to because you know what's at stake. You want to make sure that you are taking this test seriously. <laughs> that reminds me. Um, taking this test seriously. I laugh after I say taking it seriously. No, um, but no, you got to make sure you're taking it seriously and that you're in the right headspace. There was a lot of me trying to make sure I was in the right headspace and that I was taking it seriously. And then also really diving deep into because there was a lot of questions and a lot of things that I was never put into. So there was a lot of like anxiety just about that alone. It's a lot of unknown. So, um, yeah, for me, it, it, it was definitely one of those times. So that was the final result is that I got this and the, some of the stuff that they also said that they recommend that I do get help academically for stuff like that. Uh, so for, because I'm now diagnosed, they suggest that I get like, um, you know, help with terms of like writing notes in class, extended times on exams and um, other things to help they even suggested that i get the um what do you call the uh math and the physics waived if possible um and i'll read exactly what they said on the page um uh, of our current school and you have to determine whether math and physics prerequisites can be waived however it is recommended that me and my family, I'm, I'm adding that part, with the go with a career counselor who has experience with students with Asperger's disorders. They should discuss whether a career in architecture is a reasonable goal, given her difficulty with math and physics, which are fundamental aspects of this career. And that part was the part that literally made me so depressed and sad because... 
I knew that I love math and I knew that I love physics. I absolutely love physics. Anyone who knows me, I know physics. It was just I needed the help and support for me to be able to pass it because I knew the information. So when they say something like I have to change my entire career, it really floored me because it was like, what do you mean? Like the architecture is like something I love, like absolutely love. And I don't see me doing anything else. And this is like me as a child knowing that. So it was devastating. And I felt like that was the only part where I felt like, well, not the only part, but that was the part where I felt like this could really, you know, change my life and projection. Um, and they suggested after that I probably work with kids in, in teaching, either teaching art or music, which I have taught art. So ironic, and I am an artist, so it makes sense. Um, and I do, I, I'm teaching right now so like I teaching a new would always be a part of me um but I I teach architecture history like things that I I'm interested in um and I and I taught art I was an art teacher for an entire year so that makes sense that I would be suggested to do that um music I don't feel qualified to teach but when they said that that's all I'm qualified to do, I found it kind of felt very sad because it was like, but I want to become an architect. And I think that's what pushed me. Actually, that is what pushed me to finish and and get my architecture, architecture degree because I was like, I'm not going to be defined by this label. Like, I'm not going to be defined by this label or acts. I, ne- I never would have think to ask like even though they said it I would never be like okay yeah that's something I'm gonna really consider I was like that's not no I want to go through the classes because it's important for me to take those classes in order for me to achieve that goal so for me when they said that I was just like no that's not gonna happen and then two was like what do you mean I'm perfectly capable of doing it I just need the support um and that part was just kind of it was very devastating to me I remember being very sad about it but uh that summer because it just happened like may into june like so that july i decided to really go for it and i realized that i was i my gap year lasted more than a year it lasted until 2012 when i was going through the diet it ended i would say once i got diagnosed my gap year (coughs) and so it was um a different environment, different view after my diagnosis. And that's where I'm going to start talking about the pre and post diagnoses and like the aftermath of like coming out and, and talking about that. And actually I'm going to do a whole podcast about coming out, like, because I feel like coming out is normally like, Oh, it's talking about LGBTQ plus a plus community, but it's the same thing I feel like for people who are neurodivergent, especially if they're classified as an autistic individual, because you know there's just such a high stigma on what it is to be autistic or have Asperger's or whatever because of the stereotypes that you see on TV and all the stuff like that. So it's really actually difficult for um, someone to tell someone because you know that they will they will get angry with you. They will, they will gaslight you. They will, um, a lot of disbelief, a lot of anger, a lot of, um, 
this negative emotion comes with like that whole idea. And, and I, I definitely went through those motions and, um, for 11 years now I have been very careful about who I tell. And it actually became worse in 2020 when I first felt that I could tell. And it was like, and because I was working at my dream job, I was like, Oh, I need to let them know that, you know, this is a thing that I'm going through. Um, I ended up losing my job because of it. So, um, and that's again, I'm going to have to talk about that at a different time that goes on to the fact that I realized that I actually have a, a diagnosed anxiety and blah, blah, blah. But I'll talk about like the devastation of like me letting people know that this is happening and how it backfired. And as, I mean, literally, that's a whole another podcast. I'm not going to go too much into that, but I will eventually. <laughs> um, and I'm focusing on like 2012. So that's like way in the future. So. Um, you know, obviously the final results, I was with my mom and my sister and, well, my mom mainly, and then, uh, my sister was there. And so they were the first ones to find out essentially. And then my brother, then my best, and then my, my, my aunt and other, my other family, um, close family. And, and then it was like my best friend also was like, I think she might've been before my aunt to be honest with you. Um, and so, uh, you know, coming out there in that time, it was very, I was very so vulnerable when I found out like, and he, before he gave me like the packet and everything, he said, yes, you do have it. I, that morning, I remember it being so devastatingly, like I was just like a mess. Like I was all emotion. I was very emotional. Like I wasn't crying. I wasn't like I wasn't I don't think I was visibly showing that I was a like kind of an emotional wreck but I or maybe I was I don't know <laughs> I have no idea but I definitely felt very nervous coming into the last final meeting the result meeting um because it took about like two weeks for them to after the testing and everything to make the report and then like make the diagnosis and stuff like that so when I went, got there, I was like, okay, we're sitting there and, you know, my mom's there and I'm there and we're sitting on this big table. The room was like, I felt like it was good lighting because I didn't feel like, I felt like it was perfect. It was like not too bright or whatever. And he's like, yes, so she does have it. <laughs> and then once he said that, I literally cried the the rest of the meeting like I was just bawling crying he's like this isn't a bad thing you know and I was like I'm not crying because I think it's a bad thing I'm crying because there's a sense of relief there's a sense of validation there's a sense of confusion there's also a sense of fear because now that I have a name for it I'm now going to be stereotyped and that's like an added thing to my resume that's that will make life difficult for me so it was just I mean, and that's another thing, like, why would anyone go through what I went through for any type of positive, like, it is positive for me, it helps me in my life, but, like, I feel like when I was telling people, it was kind of like, they're like, no, you don't have it, like, if I didn't have it, I would be happy that I didn't have it, because I already have a lot of things going against me already, you know, being a woman, being a person of color, like I already have so many things that count or that make life difficult. So why would I want to add something extra? I never understood why people would guess like you 
after they've told you that because it's like do you think they want to have that <laughs> you think they want their lives to be difficult no um the answer is no but for me in my life it has benefit me because i know there's a name for it there's resources i could get to it um and so the first thing that actually benefited me post-diagnose uh fact that i got help like I remember it was the summer of 2012. I wasn't sure. I applied to Florida Atlantic University. I remember and I was like, I don't know. Like it came to August and I still didn't know. Um, it was literally like days before school started and I still didn't know if I got into the program or if I got in to the school. But then I got an email like that saturday night or friday night or friday night like i was like well i guess i didn't get it you know i got my last paycheck from the summer camp that i worked at for many years and i was like well i guess i didn't get in because i still haven't received an email but i got an email that night and that i also got approved to go in the dorm so i was like and i had to start school like monday (laughs) i was like freaking out so uh we ended up like having to get a whole bunch of stuff and you know moving but I do remember when we went to go seek accommodation, like it was both my mom and my aunt was there and they were showing us like different things that we could do because we went to go visit the school. And they were showing us different accommodations that were available to us. And this is before I knew I got in, um, but I knew that that's all the stuff I have to do when I get there. And I was like, oh, this is overwhelming. Um, but no, I knew that school was for me. They were so nice and caring and they dealt with the situation with sensitivity. Um, and they, I learned so much like the first uh, day, like the, just that day that we were there, I learned so much of like things I could get accommodated for. I mean, even though it did say in my paperwork what things I would get co- accommodated for, but there was other, they explained it to me, you know, and how it works. And like, I think that was beneficial. Like they would say, okay, you can have a note taker who will come to your class and take notes for you. So you could just focus on just listening to the class, listening and being present in the lecture without having to worry about writing and listening at the same time which was it was quite difficult and such a benefit to have because um yeah it was just this idea that I could just like focus on listening allowed me to retain the information better and I didn't have to worry about writing notes as well um and it made me remember, help, help me to remember the information. I think that was a different part. So it got to a point where, where I was so calm that I would be able to not even need a note taker because I remember everything. Another thing that was allowed was I was allowed to record my classes and lectures. So if I was having a bad day or if even if I wasn't having a bad day, but I, you know, for some reason forgot it because my mind wasn't something or whatever the reason I could record the class and I did. And that also helped a lot because being able to, and that also allowed me to remember how it was to be in the class and, and all that stuff like that. So um, I ended up not using the note taking as much because I also have an issue with like the whole reading pit. And I feel like listening is so much better. Listening and watching, I retain so much more. Um, so 
I did use it a couple of times, but I mainly recorded what I was listening to and I would just be present in the class. And that's kind of what I did. I was just present and recorded and then I would listen to the recording, you know, like right before an exam. Sometimes I wouldn't listen. A lot of times, actually, I wouldn't listen to it because I remember, but it was good to have. It was good to know that I had that capability of doing it. Now, I couldn't share it with anyone like that was a rule like or publicize it or whatever, anything like that. It was just used and for me and I could use that anywhere. So not just in school, but you could use it for life you could record anything like if you're just having a conversation with your coworker or with your friend you could record that conversation because it's covered on the American Disability Act that's something that you need in order for you to survive and and function you know so that was something i learned from you know that experience and then also other things that I could do, which really helped a lot, like I don't think I would survive without it, um, was the ability to take my exams in a very quiet environment with like not like a lot of light and I could just take it in peace without um, that. That was a huge, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't even know how to describe how huge that was for me to be able to take a test, an exam in a room. I knew that there were cameras in there, but I didn't care. Like it was the fact that I didn't have to like take an exam and have this fear of like the pressure of time. Cause I had more time. What well, I started, actually I started out with like 0.5 additional time, realized that was not enough time. Then I started out with 1.5. I think by the end, like when I graduated, I think a 2.5 more time. And I had to keep requesting for more time um, because there's still that pressure of like, oh, I still need to finish within a time because there is a time limit. You can't just take it all day. I mean, but if I needed to, I could have. But they try to make sure, you know, it's at a reasonable time. So that helped a lot because I was able to sit there, take the exam at my own pace and actually um, take the exam, you know. So I... <laughs> I almost like want to cry, like, because that is how much it helped. You know, it was night and day. Like, I was doing so well in exams, whereas before I wasn't doing good at all. Um, it was such a benefit um, for me to have that accommodation. Another accommodation was um, in terms of like picking, um, you know, just. I had accommodations like because I lived there. So there was a combination of that getting checked in. They would just make sure that I was doing okay and stuff like that. Um, and I have to talk to you guys because this is the first time like this is the first. I will make a podcast on that like dating relationships, friendships, all of that situation. But that was the first time I was like as a person who knew who who's, who has Asperger's and um, trying to make friends that also have Asperger's. My first experience wasn't great at all. And I think I've talked about this. It's a little traumatizing. Um, and I talked about this in the other episode, but it was really traumatizing. And uh, I want to definitely give time for that. But that was the academic accommodations that I got. And then the what else the benefit of post-diagnose was that there's a name to my definition 
And and what I mean is that I had all of these things before, like that didn't change me. Like getting the name for it didn't change my personality, didn't change me as a person, but it gave me a name to who I was as a person, which helps me get access to resources and stuff to help me live a better successful life. And I think that is what is worth it. Like it's worth it going through the process because it gives you a name. It gives you a diagnosis. You don't feel like you're gaslighting yourself. You don't feel like, you know, there's something off, but you, you can never reach to what it was or what it is or what it will be. Um, it's just something that you essentially feel like you just have to deal with. And that's just not a good feeling at all. Um, and so I remember just thinking, Okay, so this is this is the name. This is this is what it is. Now I can really dive myself into it. There's no more gaslighting myself. Um, I would get gaslighted by family members still, but that sort of quieted down because I have the official diagnosis. Um, and I still would also get di- uh, gaslighted by psychologists who knew that I got tested. <laughs> so that's another situation uh post diagnosed that made me really distrust psychologists in general you know one was like oh you know everyone goes through like giving you that sense that everyone's doing it everyone's going there everyone's a little you know you know aspie or aspers or whatever um so but at least i could defend myself and say well no this paperwork I went through the the hoop and all. You cannot tell me different. You know, I went through the diagnosis. It was very thorough. We took our time with it. I certainly took my time with it. Um, and this is legit. And it was it was kind of interesting because I'm gonna talk about the 2020, but I'm gonna talk about it a little bit more just now. And I'll go back to 2012. But um, when that situation happened in 2020, for me, um, the lady said you know what, you have the diagnosis as long as you have that diagnosis to show that you have it. Because I went back to the office because I couldn't find the original. I did find the original. Now I have it because it's in my hand right now, but I couldn't find it. So I was hoping that they could send it over to me, but they no longer keep, you know, things for that long. And it was 2020 and it's been eight years. So that makes sense. They're not keeping records for that long. Um, but like, as long as you have a copy of it, you're good. This is your diagnosis. This is what it is, you know? So I was like, okay, so I need to stop because I was gaslighting myself then. Like, so it was a recurrence. And I think that's why I'm here doing what I'm doing. It's because of the whole 2020 thing. Um, Because I realized that that's just not acceptable to get gaslighted still, you know, after all of that. But anyways, um, post-diagnosis gave me the confidence to pretty much say screw you if you don't believe me (laughs) i don't really care this is what i am if you want to help or if you want to know more about it then i'm willing to tell you or if you're going to be ignorant and annoying and mean i'm just gonna ignore you and live my life essentially um so yeah so post-diagnosis allowed me to get the proper resources but there are a lot of post-diagnosis stories I have as well because, yes, I got so much help in the academic world. But when you graduate, 
they don't really actually support you past that. Like no one really supports you past that. Um, and I think I'm going to do another uh, podcast. There's so many, so many. That's why I'm doing a series. I don't know how long the series is going to last, but it's going to, this is the series. Um, there's so many things to cover. So now we're going to end this uh, podcast off as why is it important for people of color to get diagnosed sometimes? Why is it important? Well, I think I've talked about this a boatload in this podcast, but you, society will gaslight you because they go off of the stereotypes of what they see in movies, of what they hear from people they go and look at the extreme cases of um the autism spectrum disorder meaning the nonverbal um low iq um situ- situations or case scenario or people um society will gaslight you and a lot of people still think that it only is to white males which blows my mind we're in 2023 and you were still thinking that way. That's insane. Um, but <laughs> that's what it is. That's what's happening. So that's why it's important for people of color to get diagnosed because more and more people are getting diagnosed that are people of color that, you know, that have it, you know, there's diagnosing random people, but like people who have it then more research and more resources can go to our community could go to awareness in our communities um about this di- diagnosis and this this um disorder so i think that's why it's important for people of color to do it it also gives you such a peace of mind of knowing who you are And knowing that this is the path that you are on and you're not crazy for thinking it um, and you're not insane. It just gives you peace of mind. When I found out, like, yes, I was crying, but it gave me such a peace of mind to know that there's a name for my definition for me. There's There's a name for it. I'm not crazy. You know, I'm not weird just because I'm weird. I'm weird because it's... I'm literally built in and I think and wired and I'm wired differently than other people. And that is okay. You know, it's such a peace of mind. And another thing that why I think is important is a way to deal with trauma because especially people of color, it's traumatic to not know. Um, Like for instance, our society, like, we are told that we are a bad child and you know you're a disrespectful bad child because you wouldn't look someone in the eye you know or and I would get constantly compared to my brother who is neurotypical because he would look them in the eye when they talked to him and he would do things you know much better than I did um but there was a reason why I didn't do those things like for instance I would be called lazy because I couldn't couldn't focus on or do chores as well as my brother did um even though I was trying my I was literally trying my 100% best but I was told I wasn't good enough um 
and I didn't do the chores the way it was supposed to be done, or I didn't do it in a timely manner, or I didn't do it consistently, or whatever the case may be. Um, I didn't focus on the chores in the way they would like me to. Um, I also being, uh, I also remember just being constantly tired because of all the sensory issues that I would have and not knowing like why I was always tired. So that also would be considered lazy. Oh, you're lazy because you're always tired and you're always resting, you're always sleeping. Um, and there's a reason why. <laughs> You know, knowing that official diagnosis, there's a reason why I was called those things as a child. There's a reason why I was doing those things. And um, getting diagnosis helped me to understand, you know, I still feel traumatized because I would have teachers yell at me and say, why aren't you looking me in the eye? Or, um, you know, even like family members would do the same thing. They would be like, why are you looking in the eye? And I would get in a lot of trouble for that. Um, there's so much trauma when it comes to that. I literally get like in deep trouble, like, like as if something was wrong with me, I would be told that, you know, I am weird. I shouldn't have any friends and I would get bullied and, um, told that I wasn't, you know, I was always be picked up for last for a teen, but I wasn't good enough, you know, and stuff like that my entire life. And, and then also dealing with sensory overload, when you don't know why you're going and why you're tired or why you need a break or why you always feel like you need to be alone because of all the sensory input that you're taking in, you don't know why. You, you get very confused, you know, but knowing why those things are happening to you helps you to deal with them because you're like, okay, now I could carve out time in my day because after that I was able to like, okay, I know my limits. Okay, I could do this, this, and that. After that, I'm going to need to take a nap <laughs> or I'm going to need to like take a moment away from the situation um, and rest. And so I was conscious about those those decisions I would make in order for me to balance and not have like a shutdown or meltdown or, or any of those things. Um, so there are many reasons why people of color could do it, but there are also other reasons and trauma that deals with it. So like the trauma of being minority already is, is, is enormous, especially in minority communities and stuff like that. So you add that sort of level of it because we, a lot of autistic people are very naive. So imagine living minority life with a very naive perspective it's traumatic sometimes because you don't understand you take things literally so a lot of things could happen that can sort of make you feel like there is something wrong with you i'd always get told that i'm not street smart um like mainly for my brother he would tell me oh you're not street smart you're you're book smart but you're not really street smart and for my family actually to be honest with you um, and, but now I know why, and I know why I wasn't like considered like to be the smartest person, whatever. And it just, it gave me such a peace of mind to know that there's a name for my definition. And I encourage more people and more and more people to talk about it. And I know I say it's important for people to get diagnosed, but it's also important to spread awareness. And I don't want to push anyone to start talk about it, but, um, it would help. 
and that's why I'm doing it now. Like it did take me 11 years to feel comfortable to share this information with people that I don't know, but I feel like it's so important to talk about it because it will help the next me, the next person who's like me, um, that went through this, not the same thing. No one goes through the same thing, but you get what I'm saying. Like it definitely will help, um, to talk about it and to spread awareness about it. Um, that's why I'm doing this whole thing is to talk about it. It's also very nice to, to express that time in my life. Like 2012 was a significant time. Um, a lot of changes, ending of things and starting of things and all that stuff like that. But yeah, this is, this is my diagnosis, my long gaslighting journey to get diagnosed as an adult. Um, uh, and as a woman of color. Um, so I did, I do hope you enjoy this podcast. It is quite long. <laughs> um, so I really do hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> it's one of those things where like, I don't even know what the typical, I think podcasts should last like an hour, but this is probably going to be like an hour and 30 minutes or maybe something along that lines. I don't know. We'll see. Well, we'll know by now. So the next time I'm, I plan on uploading an episode every two weeks, like every other week, I should say. So the next time I will hopefully, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, but I will talk about one of those topics I talked about in this, you know, podcast. Um, and feel free to contact me um, if you have any questions on like anything pertaining to the diagnosis process and just let me know if you want me to talk about specific things that you heard on there also let me know um and i still don't know how to end this but i hope you have an amazing beautiful awesome day and i hope you got a lot of things done <laughs> um while me blabbering on about this journey um and I will talk to you guys in a week and a half from now. <laughs> All right. Bye.